Welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorian McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. A couple of weeks ago, we dove into some of your amazing questions on air and we didn't get to finish. So we're going to dive back in today. But before we do, we're going to do uh, the section of the show where we talk about our week or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting or writing or creativity or life. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, it was good. It's Friday. So I got here. Um, it was very fast, very busy. I had fun. I'm learning a lot. And uh, I'm sort of uh, sinking into the role. <laughs> the role of showrunner. Yes. Which For is our first time good. listeners, just in case she's running yeah, the show. But it's, um, it's really good. And I'm really happy. Um, I will say there is that thing where you're like, it's my dream job. It's my dream job. And then you do it and you're like, yes, it's my dream job, but holy shit. Right. And I think that's true with anything, right? You're like, I just yeah. want to be a professional writer. I just want to sell a show. You do. They're like, here, write the pilot. And you're like, yay. Holy fuck. <laughs> right. Like, like you, you get attached to what you think it is and it is right. But there are so many other additional layers that yeah. um, you have to work through, which I think is really valuable and sort of constantly evaluating. How does this feel? Is this, is this good? Is this good? Okay. I got five hours of sleep last night. Is that enough? Maybe I need more, right? Like how do, do I, I really need to change this or am I just tired? <laughs> right. Right. And so last night, yeah, I was up writing very late and I, um, I was like, I'm done. I done. I have to be done. So I woke up this morning and then I reread and I was like, oh, I got to change all this stuff. But like, if I kept going last night, I, I would have just messed it up. I would have just kept. So I was like, okay, how, what is the feeling here that's happening? Oh, tired. I have to go to Tiredness. Yes. <laughs> tired. So no, it's great. It's great. The pace is incredibly fast, which is fun and satisfying in a way because there's no time for judgment or am I doing this right? Or that is good. That moving is good. on to the next thing. Yeah. There's no time to sit around and worry. Mm -hmm. It's just go, go, go. Um, and next week, I'm going to go into the in-person production office for the first time since the pandemic. People faces. People and faces. 3D so people. I'm thinking a lot about what I'm going to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've decided on pajamas. We'll see how that goes over. <laughs> you know, Lorraine, what you're experiencing, I remember my first couple of weeks at Pixar, I I would fly up there and fly back and I flew home and I laid on the living room floor and my husband's looking down at me and I'm like, you know, it's really hard. It's my dream, but it's, it's hard. Like, I, like it's not, you know, and it's not hard because of anything other than what you're trying to do. There's, there's freaking Academy Awards when you walk in the, in the foyer, like the bar is super high and this, this movie inside out is super hard. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, honey, why did you think when you got to the major leagues, it was going to get easier? And it's like, oh, right. All those hours of rewriting and doing many versions of scripts and many scripts and getting tons of notes and being in meetings. And it's actually training. You know, it's like running up the stairs uh, so that you get your heart and lung and capacity up. Because when you actually do get the dream, 
Uh, and Lauren, I know you've had it before, but it's uh, when you do get it for the first time, like I had it at Pixar, you know, it's a, uh, you gotta go, man, you gotta go. And it, it can be like a little bit daunting because it's not like in the movies, right? It's not like, oh, but there's no montage. The, Where's my yeah. montage? Where is the right? montage <laughs> of how well I'm doing at this? Right. But the <laughs> other good piece of going so fast is there's no time to, like I said, worry about what you're doing wrong. There's no time to apologize. Nobody has time for that to process like me right. saying, oh, I'm so sorry this happened. It's like, no, that happened. We move on. Right. There's no nobody right. has time for that. So in a way, that whole processing piece of it, that emotional like dumping on myself thing, right. there's just it's just not there's no availability for it, um, which is great, because I think especially when you're running a show or you're writing on a feature with a with a group of people, a director, whatever they don't, nobody has time for it, right? Like, let's no. just go. Cause everybody's, everyone's, you know, in the same mm -hmm. hot seat, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. To be clear, I've made absolutely no mistakes. I mean, none. 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 <laughs> I am so grateful, Lorian, that you are giving people permission to both achieve their dreams and recognize that it's inhuman to like be 100% happy and satisfied with wherever you are all the time. I, uh, there's a HBO show I loved called Crashing, um, starring Pete Holmes, who's a comic I really like. And he said like in season three of the show, you know, he was creator, showrunner. He had this profound guilt for feeling like he wasn't 100% grateful and happy all the time. Because I think this business kind of creates this myth that once you earn something, you need to be so grateful and bow down to the throne of what that thing is. And you can only ever be happy for that opportunity, but you're allowed to both be profoundly grateful, excited and happy. And also it can be imperfect and hard. And I just like want to say thanks for that permission because it's really important because we don't want to idolize these opportunities we get in this business. Well, and hopefully if you're truly pushing to the edge of um, your creativity every time you do anything, right? You're always trying to do something better. And could it, could it be better? I mean, we, we learned that at Pixar, Lorian, right? Like, is this the best it can be? It's great, it's good, but is it the best? Can we do it better? Like you're always pushing. Uh, it, you're, it's going to be challenging. Like if it's not challenging, I actually think you should wonder why. That means maybe you're not pushing hard enough, right? You're not, I mean, I think for sure at Pixar, if, if it was easy, I think people were like, huh, <laughs> is this oh, yeah. then are oh, we yes. pushing hard enough then yes. you know I think that that's intrinsic to creativity is your your it should be challenging and yeah. um I mean yours in a different boat though Lauren because you're just going so fast but I will say I think one of the most important pieces of my experience is that I believe in the show right. I really believe in the show I really believe in the product I really am enjoying the people I'm working with there's it's not toxic at all Right, and the, the room that I'm in is really like experienced and is not, there's no toxic bullshit happening. And right. that is what makes this, it can be hard. And I'm like, oh, sometimes it's a little hard, but it elevates it so that I want to keep going. I'm excited to, in the morning when I wake up, I'm excited to uh, keep going and solve problems and be available and move so quickly. Uh, and, you know, that was that Pixar when things were going so well and you were surrounded by all these amazing, smart, gifted, yeah. collaborative people. And I think you can't always choose that. No, but... I've had toxic. I've had that hard and toxic. Yeah. And like scary, toxic, same, gas, same lighting, gaslighting, yep. crazy, nutty, toxic. Yep. Uh, and you're, that is, woof, that I know is, that's crying in your car every day on the way to the work, crying in the bathroom. Time. 
that's that's the kind of like dehumanizing that's, toxic. That's your manager calling you and going, you know, I think you got to quit. Mm. <laughs> I think this is not, I think you're getting PTSD. I think this is not a good situation. I don't care how good it is for a career, quote unquote. Uh, yeah. So yeah, those exist because that exists everywhere in the world. That's just not film. That's anywhere, any job you can, you can get with a bunch of toxic people. But that's why you have to keep your center in yourself. So the toxicity is clearly the situation and not you. And that if it's starting to make you toxic, you have to leave. You have to decide for yourself how much toxicity you can take. Um, I had a crazy week in that, you know, I've been working hard now for a year, a lot of weekends, um, mothering all of the, you know, wifing the, you know, all the stuff to COVID, right? And uh, house crap. And uh, Monday, I, I, you know, I had stuff to do, believe me. And my brain was like a horse who just decided it was stopping. You ever been on a horse and it's deciding it's not going? It doesn't matter if you kick its side, if you offer it an apple, if you're nice to it, if you scream at it, it's not moving. It's just not doing anything. That was my, especially the beginning of the week was, I worked, but it was slow. It was slow. It was like, and then the horse stopped and ate something. And then it went, it was so weird and hard. And I was like, is this depression? And I think it was just a uh, uh, burnout. I think it was a bit of an exhaustion. And that literally, my, I called my friend Jonathan and he was like, um, your brain is just like, I'm done. It's like, I'm done. You're not sleeping because I don't sleep. And uh, you're not sleeping. You're working crazy. And uh, so stop. And I'm stopping now. So, I, so for a minute, I thought I broke my brain. I was a little afraid. But so I think it was just a- brain is the opposite of weasel brain. <laughs> it is. Horse brain- is the opposite of weasel brain. It just is like, no, we're not doing any of this. And I wasn't even overthinking or stressed because all of it shut down, all of it. It was just done. Um, again, I had to keep working because I have a job and I have things to do, but it was hard. It was it was a hard, uh, much harder. I, it wasn't the most fun writing I ever did. Even though what I was writing was fun. That was what's so weird. Like I actually thought what I was writing was super fun and um, I really was enjoying it, but my brain was just going slow and um, and then, of course, it's due and panic returns because it's due. And uh, and then uh, it all that, that horse started going. <laughs> were you so able it turns to out, give your if you put a fire on the horse's tail and say it's due, you start to ride a little bit faster. Were you able to like be in that moment without the constant like get up, get up, horse, go, go, go. Or you could you recognize, you know, even, after, you know, talking to Jonathan, like this is where I am right now. It did take talking to Jonathan and kind of, it's so funny, Lorian, like the horse didn't allow me to do any of that. Like I was doing it like some echo in my head somewhere. There was like an echo of, I really should be beating myself up right now. I really should be scared. I really should, I should feel guilty, whatever. But the horse was just like, yeah, no. Nope. You needed you know horse what, for brain. some research. The horse was like, I think we need to do some research and watch this TV show. <laughs> Perfect. That counts. that counts. What'd you watch? <laughs> oh, I, I watched kind of show like greatest catch kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that might not count. <laughs> so anyway, soothing. I just say, well, you know, there's great characters on those that's shows. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> sure, Meg. Sure, Meg. That's why you were watching a very okay, chill, Okay, I wasn't watching decorating show. shows, which is the other thing I love to do. All, through all of Inside Out, you remember this, through all of Inside yes. Out, all the good dinosaur, 
I'd go back to the hotel because I'm up and I'm away from my family. And I would watch redecorating shows because, you know, when you're on these huge movies and you're just churning it out and it's changing and iterating all the time, every time you get to a rock, is this good enough? Is this the best can it be? Let's take it down apart. Go again, go again, go again. Your brain is literally like, I need something to finish, to be stunned. And so I'd watch, I'd watch these shows where they redecorate their house. Or they buy a house and because you know what? At the end of it was always chaos in the middle. In fact, two of those shows, it was always never gonna work. And then guess what? You would do the walkthrough of how beautiful the house was. I didn't even like the decorating half the time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it wasn't about the taste. It was about it finished and there it was. And it really kept me psychologically in the churn. Like I do think when you're like I'm talking all the time about iteration, iteration, go again, go again. You do need something other than a cookie that is like you could finish it like I do think that's important to have in your life so that's what I did this week and now I'm back writing and it's flowing and uh you know uh so uh Jeff do you have something to share this week I'll keep it fast I um started teaching this week I'm teaching an undergrad class at my alma mater around this film I'm directing this summer and um for our first class it was purely devoted to writing so we did a full class on what a screenplay is and what, of course, format is and what separates a screenplay from other mediums. And um, I highlighted like four kind of elements of screenwriting, which I think are essential for success, which is voice, dialogue, um, character intros, and there was something else and I can't remember it now, but um, I provided examples to our class. Like I pulled from some of the great works in our medium and it was just such a good reminder to me of how valuable it is to be reading good material Mm. Um, I haven't been reading in a, a while. And as I was like teaching some of this work, of course, like I felt like I had to pull Aaron Sorkin, right? And I pulled him to teach what a good character intro is. And in the social network, when Mark Zuckerberg is introduced, the character intro is Mark Zuckerberg is a sweet looking 19 year old whose lack of any physically intimidating attributes makes a very complicated and dangerous anger. And like that character intro, you can it's hard to not picture Jesse Eisenberg when you've seen that movie, but even if you couldn't picture Jesse Eisenberg, you can see exactly and vividly who that character is and how beautifully articulated that character intro is. So I think the short lesson for me was like, I need to be reading more. And I think like, if you're feeling stuck on a screenplay, just Google a movie you love and read it. And um, even I think like, if you're in a writer's group, I wonder what it would look like to spend 10 minutes talking about a great scene with a group talk about what makes it great and why. And I think that can be really generative. So that's just my two cents for this week. No, and I love that you're reading on the page and you got to make sure you have the original screenwriter's script versus somebody who just watched the movie and wrote it down, right? right. You got to make sure you've got, because you can hear their voice. Like people mm-hmm. always say, well, what is voice? Well, go read Aaron Sorkin, go read the, the Coen brothers if you can get it, go read um, Richard Legravenades, go, you know, the, Tony Gilroy. I mean, these are all very, very different voices, right? Um, and then you'll really start to hear what we're ta- that they, their voice comes through and how they describe things. The other script we read that was just lovely is Mean Girls. If you haven't read that script, Tina mm. Fey is so funny on the page. And if you want a masterclass on how to not only write sharp, really character-specific dialogue, but be funny in your action, that's a really lovely screenplay too. So just remember, it's good to it's good to read. It's a good and reminder face- too that uh, screen that screenplays are written. I mean, there's a lot of uses they have, but one of the big ones is to be read. 
Yeah. Yes. You know, so think about that, you know, when you're writing your action, when you're doing your character introductions, that how the page looks even like readability is a big, big deal. Yeah. You don't want giant paragraphs going, but because people are going to open it up and they're going to close it right back up because yep. they want it to read really fast. It's one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot right now, but um, I, uh, I, I, on the Facebook page, we have a whole thread of where you can find those screenplays. Um, well, Jess, how was your week? Welcome to the hey, show. Jess, how was your week? Jess, Thank you. In turn, Jess, how was your week? It was a good week. Uh, it started off not at all productive, to be honest. Um, and then I, because I'd sent out a script of mine, which is a, it's a short film that I was considering making and I sent it out to an actress who's a friend of mine to see if she'd be keen and I kind of did that self-defense type of thing where it's like if she says no then I'm just not going to shoot it I'm going to put it away and I'll never talk about the script again because it's full of a lot of lava and thankfully she came back and said yes Sounds like and that a part of your brain that was is like dang it <laughs> I know yeah it's partly like oh wow I have to do all this work for it now but it's also something I'm really proud of and I think that you know when you're creating your first round of shorts like and that's where I'm at in my career like it, this will be my third short um it's really nice to find some incredible actors to bring that to life and it, it is actually really inspiring so that's been the end of my week uh and yeah very positive just now going into pre-production mode oh my god congratulations so we have two people on the show three people on the show in production yeah uh, that's great Jess. all of you are very busy next week it's going to be just me here because <laughs> we're all going to be way too busy maybe maybe <laughs> to i might show i might bail out at the last minute depending on what's going on <laughs> oh. hey everyone so the new version of final draft final draft 13 is out and you know the question's going around is it worth it is it worth it to buy or upgrade and our answer is yes so i recently got notes on a pilot and i want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes and usually what i do is you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it, and I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. 
All right. So today to answer your questions, Jess and Jeff are going to ask us because, because we're all so busy. I, I, to, uh, I haven't had a chance to even hear, read these questions. So this is going to be real time, real time uh, answering here. Um, let's start with this kind of, I broke up some of these questions into sort of like the day-to-day -day questions that you all had, because I think it's valuable to hear how professional writers spend their kind of day-to-day -day time. So Ian asks, I'd be curious how much time you give yourself to actively make rewrites and revisions. Realize the answer will vary between WGA contract work versus spec and passion work, but interested to know about personal creative time management across drafts. Across drafts. And I do think, you know what I like about this question that's interesting to me is how, when you have professional deadlines versus like passion project deadlines that you kind of set yourself, how long do you give yourself for drafts or is it super project dependent? It is super project dependent for me. Like um, if you're doing a big genre movie with eight characters and special effects and world rules and you're working with a director who also has to be inputting and you know, that's that's going to take it's going to take a while to go from pitch to outline to draft to revision to draft internal revision drafts like that could be a year of of work um and even then you still have work to do but it's like okay we can turn this into the studio kind of thing like because uh uh you really there's so many balls in the air and you know, I really liked, I think it was Michael Arndt who said, you know, do a draft just for that character. Okay, now do a draft for that relationship. Now do a draft for the rules. Now do a draft for, you know, you can get in those stages, right? And that just takes time. I'm always underestimating how long it's going to take, by the way. I'm like, sometimes just physically typing what I have in my head is going to take half a day. You know what I mean? Like, and you're like, oh, right, because this moved that and then that thing moved down. And, you know, it does take a while and you have to give yourself that space. Um, so it, it's very draft, it's dependent to me, whereas this, my passion project is much smaller in terms of it's much more in rooms with characters talking. There's other work to do, but if I had all the time in the world and that's all I was doing, I think I could write that. And I've read the book and I've thought about it for so long. I think I could write it very fast. Um, so I can write super fast, especially having worked at Pixar, um, where I can literally I think the fastest draft I ever wrote was a, I wrote a full draft from outline, having thought about it in two weeks. Um, it, that wasn't a draft I gave to anybody, but uh, that's the fastest I've ever done. Whereas I've worked on other big, huge movies that you're on it for a year trying to build that thing. I don't know, does that answer the question? Yeah, I mean, Lauren, do you agree with that? I think it's really a personal thing and a, a situational thing and a project. Uh, consideration when I'm busy, I get more work done. Uh, if I have multiple projects going on, I will make the time to do them. They become more of a priority. If I have one thing that's like a personal thing, I sort of get a little uh, ennui-y. I know that's not a word, but, um, but when I'm busy and I am doing things, I will move really, really fast. There's, it's the thing that gets me going. I don't know what that is, like an overproductive I don't know what, what the negative, you know, mental health version of that, how you would describe that. But for me, like the happiest I was, was, you know, my final year in grad school, I was planning my wedding and working full time. And I was just, you know, I was writing my thesis and putting on my play. And, you know, it was like, I just remember that time being so full 
of ideas and creativity. And I knew where I was doing and where I was going every minute of the day. And that's when I work best. Um, what do you so think is I'm- under, I mean, we can't know because the, the questioner isn't here, but this also feels a little bit to me like the other questions we get about um, how many drafts do I have to write? Or um, we get these kind of questions about am I doing it wrong or how more quickly can I do this? Or right? tell and me I, how to do it. Like what know, do you do? And then I will do it that way, which I used a, to try to do and it does not work. Yeah. And is it about a barometer of how long you should give this before you give it up? Is it a, is the question really, I mean, I guess, and I, this is how to learn to deal with your lava and your writing too, to ask yourself why you're asking this question. What's the question under the question, right? Is it literally time management? That is the question, which is how do I um, do these drafts at the same, all at the same time? How do I do a draft and work? Is it about, should I give up after a certain amount of time because it isn't working in how many drafts? And the answer to that is no, because like Michael Arndt said, think of 20, think it's going to be 20. I mean, really, you guys, if this is a question about timing, if Michael Arndt, who is a genius, says it's 20 drafts, you're going to give yourself minimum, minimum three to five months for each draft. we're talking it's a it's a while to write these scripts it's years of work i think Um, that's the hardest thing to wrap your head around when you're making the transition because you think i talked to a a writer once and he was in grad school and they were teaching him that there's the first draft and the second draft and i was like what right because there's this idea that then you're done then there's a polish right which is true in steps when you're you know writing for a network to get your pilot written but I think that there's a, like, what is a draft, right? Michael Arndt said it's when you give it to someone to read, um, but what is a draft? And the idea I think is terrifying that you have to write 20 drafts and that it will take three to five months between drafts, right? That I think that free concept, draft, yeah. that free draft, sorry, what I say? What word did I, what, what, what just make up a nonsense <laughs> sentence there? No. Welcome. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but I think that it's, it's, that is a piece of this too, that's under that, like, what do you mean 20 drafts? How long will that take me to get to the place where I want to go? Because it's like, if you tell me four years, I'm like, what? But How it is, I, I mean, that? honestly, yeah. it is a I mean, commitment yes. of three to five years. It really is to get yep. your solid samples to be at a professional level and get that job. Not always guys, not always, but I, I want to be re- you guys to be realistic too. And, but in those three to five years, like Jess, you might be making a short film. You might be trying a TV pilot. I'm not saying you're not doing other things, right? But um, if you're truly working it, um, it can take time. And even then, you know, I have friends who've spent that time. And for some reason, their samples are going out and people are liking them. They're respecting them, but they're not loving them. They're not quite catching fire. And it's like, well, shoot, I, I think there's a lava issue in here then. Like you've, this draft and all this work you've done has taught you the craft. You've got it down. You're a writer. But for this particular story, there's a blind spot. And then here you go back in again, right? So um, it's a progress. It's a process. And um, it's a long, it's like any craft. If I said, you're going to learn to paint in oils, I'm sorry, but you're not going to paint an amazing painting for a couple of years because you have to learn how to do that craft. Um, so that would be the answer to that question. Great. Jess, you want to bring us into the next one? Yes. So the next question is from Ryan. 
and he is eager to know your thoughts on the vomit draft and the practical steps in rewriting as well as file organization which is super fun um, are you referring to the literal words from the first vomit draft or is it more of a mental release then you refer to these discoveries as you write from a new file he says new file i write from a new file um, and I, I don't I, I have to because otherwise I noodle around and I don't do the deep work. I, I, so I, you know, occasionally I might go back and look at a scene and be like, how did I say that? And what were they saying? And, um, but for me, that vomit draft is, okay, that's what I'm doing. That's who they are. Okay, what's the story? What, what, what is this? What is the structure? And I go back to cards. So of course I'm now opening a new version and hopefully those characters are walking and talking and you've outlined it and now you go again. And now it's not so much of, now it's a first draft to me. Now that's a first draft. Now, if this was Pixar, you'd do the first draft, you'd get your notes and you'd go back to outline, right? And each time you're opening a new document to see what travels over with you, what, because you know each scene is gonna be different as you rewrite what's before and after it. So for me, I do open a new, a new, a new draft and People worry about the barf draft and that it's too long. I don't think they can be too long. I think that if you trailed off and she, like somebody wrote on Facebook page, she got lost in the woods and she doesn't even know if she's on the same path. Yeah, exactly. Because maybe this movie doesn't want to be that. Or maybe there's two movies in here. Or But this is what's coming up, right? And see what comes up and have fun with it. And um, then go back with your analytical brain and see what it is and start. Now go to your first draft. Now go to outline, now go to cards. And I find a blank page incredibly intimidating. So I love the save as function. I might go through like five or six or 10 or 15 save as is in one day on the same script. Um, but, but I'll do the barf draft and then I do the save as, and then I will most likely cut out like 20 pages of it. And this is for TV pilots. I'll just cut, 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 cut. And then I'm left with some of these markers. And then I write in that. But the most satisfying thing for me is that a barf draft is that a draft exists and I don't have to look at the blank page anymore. I really don't like it. Um, so for me, it's not an opportunity, it's terrorizing. So I, I just do save as, and then I save everything. You know, anything I cut, I save in my cut files. Um, I have the, um, I was lucky enough to be a script supervisor at Pixar where I worked on one film for three and a half years. So I became very good at file saving and organizing and knowing how to name things so that I could find them again and know what I was looking for. That what's your, to me- What's your hints there? What's your, uh, what's your advice there for that? Um, one way to do it is you put the date first, you put the year first. So 2021.6.18, then the name Which of the script. I personally hate, but that's okay. As a writer, <laughs> I'm like, how the hell? What do I know? What is because, this? because as a script soup, that's what helped me, right? Because then right. I knew what I was looking for. And then the- the um, name of the project and then like what I was doing in that project, right? Is this cut, is this cuts, is this, you know, something else. Normally what I do is I start with the title now and then I do um, what it is and the date at the end. But the date for me is, and sometimes I do 2.20 PM, right? Because I'll remember I worked on that in the early afternoon and that's where I need to go back to. I get very specific about when I was working on it or what I was doing in it. Um, so and for I have, me, I just, um, yeah. I have two documents open. One is called my clips, which is stuff that I'm cutting, but I'm, do I want to put this somewhere? I'm just, a, I don't want to, I want to be able to eat, quickly find it. So I just throw it over my clip file. I very rarely go back to them, but it's psychologically it's over there. I know how I said that. 
whatever. And uh, then I, every day I just save a new file. So it's the title of the project and the date, my initials, if I'm working with a director or another writer, just so that, you know, they have to track whose is whose and the title, but generally you don't yeah. do that with your own. So I just, every day I have a new draft and um, that helps me go find stuff. I'm like, well, that was about a month ago <laughs> that we yeah. were going to do, I was going to do yeah. that scene that way. It's somewhere in here. Um, and usually when you're, go, you go hunting, it's mostly, like you said, for assurance, because the truth is you can rewrite yes. it. You know that character well enough. Totally. Now, but yeah, um, that's how I do it. Yeah. Another thing that you can do is when Michael Arndt was talking about the fact that a new draft is like a new pass, like you've gotten notes. What I'll do is I'll say like draft 1.4 because I've done small noodles in that draft. And then when mm -hmm. I do a full new pass, I'll do 2.0. 2.01 whatever but right. i think that helps you keep track of when you've actually done a new draft versus you've changed a character's line of dialogue about which flavor of ice cream they wanted and been like i rewrote today <laughs> yeah for After me sometimes just getting started i just opening the document and titling it the day helps your brain start to be like okay we're gonna go and it's funny lauren i don't think i'm afraid of the blank page only well no, i am but <laughs> i think the reason i'm not in terms of the way i do it is because i have an outline I have my cards. Wow. So I, that's what I'm relying on. It's like, okay, I know this scene. I know what's happening in here. Let's go, let's write it. Mm -hmm. um, because I've already done the puke draft and now I've carded and outlined. So it's, it's, a, it's a thing that I'm now translating into a different form. No, that's a good point. I'm realizing and talking to you, listening to you both, I micromanage the hell out of myself in my script <laughs> process. Like You script soup yourself. I script soup myself, but it, it makes me feel safe. It's yeah. what I do. It's my process. And then I find great satisfaction at the end of the day that I have like 15 versions of the same, right? Wow. I'm like, I feel like I tried lots and lots and lots of different things. Get it? You're, you're documenting your process. Yeah. <laughs> Be a terrifying thing for anyone to open up and look at. <laughs> um, I mean, I won't. I, I'm done. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask a bit of a follow-up just because I can hear a lot of emerging writers like me um, who get very curious about your process in opening the blank page. Um, when you do that, are you, because you've now referenced you, you have your outline still there and you know, I guess, the ordering of scenes, but they could still change, I'm guessing. But are you ever copying and pasting something that you're like, no, this is the scene that is very close to how I want it to be, or are you just tasking yourself with completely redoing it? In the early stages, I try to have the discipline to go ahead. And even though I know that scene's coming, if I had to rewrite it today from memory and just from the flow of the river that I'm in, right? Because the beginning of the river's changed. So nuances have now changed, which means huge context can change. I try to just keep writing it from memory. That doesn't mean later I'm like, oh shit, this was a much better way to say it or whatever. But I like to um, know that if something changed before it, it is different. It is. So when you start to cut and paste, you can get kind of a, of a you can get kind of a monster of uh, of 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 band aids, right? Because you're trying to band aid into that thing that you wrote. And if it doesn't work, and you still love that scene more than all the other stuff you wrote before it, then you have to ask why. <laughs> that all that shit you wrote before may not be working because it didn't earn you this scene that you love. So stop, right? Um, or keep going and find out what happens. But so in the early stages, I do try to open up, uh, try to go again um, at Pixar, that, that's what happens. Um, 
but in the later scenes, straps, no, because now it's starting to solidify. It's starting to like hold and the engine's working. And now it's really about, well, how, what's, is that the best execution of this? We know that this is going to happen, but is that the best way for him to walk in the store? Is that the best first thing he should say? Or how could we do that in a more interesting way? Or what, now you're kind of working within scenes to try to chisel them out. And it's funny as you do that, right? Cause I'm doing so many drafts before I hand it to a producer or a director or God forbid the studio, right? I've done tons and tons of drafts. So now it's like, <laughs> you hand it to them you've done all that chisel work and they're like, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, so sometimes I'm like, should I do all this chisel work? Cause if it's just gonna blow up, but you have to because it's the read and all of that, so. Yeah, that's me. But I, you know, that's just my process. Everybody has their process. It's good though. It's convicting. Like, because the Frankenstein Band-Aid monster, I get it. Like, I've been there and I think I'm just afraid to face the challenge of getting back in the river at the top of the river, you know? So I think it's a really important thing that you're saying, Meg, because in the least, I think it should in a healthy way, convict our listeners to think like, what kind of rewriting am I doing? And am I really rewriting? You know? Exactly. Are you really rewriting? Or you're kind of mucking about <laughs> trying to band-aid this thing together with the new ideas, um, for which me, again is a process. Yeah, for me, sometimes the mucking about is how I find out what the solution is. Cause yeah. I'll try so many things. Um, and I, I don't usually, work from an outline. I'm starting to now. Um, so I do everything backwards, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> There's no backwards. But um, I like the, I'll try this, I'll try this, I'll try this. And, you know, things grow. It might take me a while. But I think the point is, is that um, you have to figure out what works for you mm-hmm. and, and, and do that. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Yeah, um, but there is no right way to do it, you know. So. so you'll find your process. And that should be the goal to find your process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not how long it is or what is it. It's what's your process. Find your process. It gets you the best story. Related to all this, Tad asked about outlining and chunking. And I know we did cover this on an episode, but like if you had to give a concise definition of what chunking is, like when you use that word, either of you, what are you referring to? No, it's those early stages or when you're going back through just doing one pass of something in terms of like, like you said, like, okay, let's just look at that relationship or, or I mean, to me, chunking can happen anywhere. It can happen in the outline. It can happen where you're literally just starting to lay down huge pieces, right? Like we're going to start here and then we're going to go here and then she's going to meet him here. And then the world is going to blow up here. And then now by the midpoint, they're here. And it's just huge story pieces for me that I'm laying down almost from a 30,000 foot view. So I can see the the chunking of it versus I'm going to noodle on this first act until it's perfect. And then I will move to the first scene of the second act and make sure that's perfect. And now I will move to the second scene of the second act and make sure it's perfect. For me, that doesn't work because there's no way to know if it's perfect until you've gotten to the third act and you can see the whole thing and you can do, as Andrew says, the golden book version and you can, whatever metaphor you want, you don't even know what the hell it is. It's like looking, it's like, what do they say? Like three blind men, you know, trying to figure out what an elephant is. Like it's, what is this? Like you think you know, but you don't because you're in conversation. So I just like to chunk it out 
um, which means the big pieces. I lay them down. I can lay them down in cards. I can lay them down in outline. I can lay them down on a whiteboard. I can lay them down in a barf draft, right? Uh, how you want to chunk it out sometimes depends on where you are and what creatively you, yeah, how the story wants to come out. It's kind of like Any, building the rooms of a house before furnishing them a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes people are, I'm, <laughs> I remember once a picture, I was like, that is wallpaper. Like that's what pattern of wallpaper are we putting on the walls? We have no framing. There's no framing, but to be fair to people's brains, um, like my husband's brain, if he knows the wallpaper hit, somehow he works backwards into the framing. Like it's just, if that's how you do it, then that's how you do it. I cannot tell you how to do that because my brain really doesn't work that way. Um, uh, and it's, it, 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 I think it can take longer in terms of, uh, there's much more page count, I think, uh, because you're, the details are just coming up and coming up and coming up. Um, and that happens sometimes. I'm not trying to say that doesn't happen to me. Sometimes details, like, like Lorian said, give you the whole world in that detail. Um, so it's a balancing act of that. But again, it's however your brain works. If chunking works for you, great. If it doesn't and you're a detail person and you really don't, then detail it out. But at some point, try to get a 30,000 foot view at some point, I think. What do you think, Lorian? I think that's a great answer. I'm not going to. <laughs> there we go. Next question. Before please. we move on out of this section, the last thing I'm curious about, like it's very illuminating to hear the actual nuts and bolts writing that you all do when you're vomiting, like when you're, when you're, when you're birth drafting, right. Both of those sound unsettling when you're <laughs> writing your vomit draft. Yes. Um, how often are you just like needing to push through a scene? Like, do you ever just do like the script mint version where you like write some dialogue and then like next oh, scene? Yeah. I, I all the like, time I'm like, I have no idea how, but somehow she has to get across the room and out the window. And I don't know if there's a car out there. I don't know, but I know I want her on the highway now. Now she's on the highway and, and or I'll write lines and I'll literally write better or I'll write TBD. Like, I don't, I don't fucking know what this mm -hmm. is. I don't know how this happens. TBD, I don't know, because I'm just trying to get this, keep the story moving, moving, yeah. moving. I don't know how the, yeah, sometimes, and if I really don't know the whole scene, I'll be like, I don't know, something happens here. Uh, but that's why it's a barf draft because the, the, my, my goal is to just keep moving and the answer to what happens here is probably further down the road because I don't know it yet. I haven't even met the character yet who's going to walk in and I'm like, oh my God, he's got to come all the way back to page 10. And I just met him on my barf draft on page 70. Oh, that's why I don't know what all this shit is because <laughs> I don't have a main relationship. Okay, there it is. Now, let's do it again. So... And here's how I'm going to contradict myself about not outlining. Um, I did a feature adaptation of a novel and I was trying to figure out how to write it, like how to start writing on the page. I mean, I read it like five times. I underlined all the things I loved. I wrote down all the dialogue I want. I did whiteboards of theme and characters and who I had to change and how I had to change them and how I had to change the ending. And I, I felt like I knew it. And the shape of the story was trying to take shape so that I could honor the book, but make it into a movie. And um, when I sat down to write what I thought was gonna be the outline and it turned out to be a 70 page scriptment, right? Because I had, you know, I had in, in the opening, this is the feeling I want and this is what happens. And then sometimes I just needed to put the dialogue in that I wanted yeah, in that yeah. section because I knew what it was, you know, it yeah. was from the book, right? right? And it was like that dialogue was the center of that scene for me. And so 
but it just became this sort of monster that I generated. Like the studio was like, we need an outline. I'm like, this? <laughs> like I more this of a script meant for an, a studio, for a director once. Cause I was like, I don't, yeah. you have to hear the characters talking or this is gonna be yeah. so I mean, the whole, the whole book is her voice. Like that, it's her story. It's told from first person POV. Like it's, so I couldn't not put it in there, but. And then I, I used that to turn that into the first draft. And um, I guess I like was outlining in that way. Like I had it on cards. I did a lot of crying and eating chips and, you know, um, uh, I'm going to come up What's with interesting about the adaptation I'm doing is I've done that approach for the first draft of the pilot or the first couple of drafts, which is I'm, this is the book in terms of what I loved about the book, what I always saw the show as. But the more I'm living in it, the more I'm thinking, I'm going to do two versions. I'm now going to do another version where I'm going to not think about the book at all. And I'm going to bring up all these relationships that happen much later in the show, i.e. in the book. Mm -hmm. And what if, what if I made this go all so much faster? Or what if I concentrated on different relationships? It's a very quiet, quiet visual story. And so I'm trying to I just want to see what would happen if I really mix it up and just take the reins off and change the tone. Or again, I don't know if that's going to be the show, and it, but I think it will inform the other draft at the very least. I think it's a great um, idea. You gave me that advice, actually, when I was struggling with this project, because I was so worried about the author being offended by the choices I was making. Right. And you had to say, like, he's not even he's not even in this universe anymore. He doesn't exist. Like you, this is a separate thing. And once I got permission to do that, it unlocked. And I wrote the version that I wanted to write. Um, and then, and then a couple, I think like two years later, <clears throat> he and his agent read it, which is probably the <laughs> most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> Cause I had to essentially kill him in order to write the book in my mind. Yeah. Right. I, that's how I had to separate sort of responsibility about it. But that's oh. what you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the paint. He loved it, by the way. I was going to say, <laughs> if you don't say it, I'm going to say it. That's also that was, important. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I, I really appreciate you both sharing. It's just such a good reminder that, like, we're all writing these shitty first drafts. Like, I think I have the feeling sometimes when I'm in a vomit draft, like, I'm a bad writer. Like, I'm hopping oh. scenes, and it's that feeling of, like, wait, this doesn't look like an Oscar winning. It's so funny because when I write my vomit draft, I'm like, oh my God, I'm the best writer. This is genius. <laughs> this is it. I just vomited it out. I'm like, ta-da. And then I fluctuate like, back oh. and forth. Oh yeah. no. I fluctuate. No, this is amazing. I go back this is in. Terrible. When yeah. I go back in the next day, I'm like, oh God, what's happening? <laughs> I think what I find are the scenes that got me excited to write it in the first place. Those are usually there. And like, you write that scene, you're like, oh, this is amazing. But then you have to get to the next great scene and that's when you're just writing the shit. And I think like, it's just such a good reminder that we all do it because I think I specifically needed to hear all of this today. Well, you know, what's interesting when you've done it long enough and you've done enough versions and been enough in the chopper, some part of your brain learns and understands that a truth is that scene that you thought sucked by the time it's at the other end of this tunnel could be your favorite scene. That this scene that you thought, ah, it's a throwaway or in your script and you were like, I have no fucking idea how she does this, whatever, you know, or I'm a bad writer. This is really bad. This is all exposition or whatever could end up being your favorite scene by the end. So it's all valuable. You don't know. You do not know. You don't know what's going to be where the magic's going to happen. 
also be incredibly brave in your rewrites, right? I wrote a script that I loved. I love the character relationships. I loved who was in it. I love the center. I love the conversation. Now the version of it is the one character I loved is not even barely in it. He is not even interesting in terms of the main character's relationship with the theme or the other characters, right? I miss it, but that was a different version. So like, don't be afraid to like, what if, what if he wasn't even in the pilot or, mm. you know, just try a version like that. And you might find, he might find that he was, that character was standing in your way. I mean, if people don't like the word barf or birth, birth, it can be, what if, do your what if draft. Mm -hmm. What if this, and what if this, and what if this, and just That's keep good. going. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. That's really a positive take on it, Meg. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no grossness to it, so no, no, no. Thanks, as always, for joining us on The Screenwriting Life. And make sure to join our Facebook group, where we've got some amazing conversations happening between emerging writers and pro writers, um, and also different kinds of writers. There's not just screenwriters on there. There's novelists and um, just everybody down in the soup. Um, and you can find some support uh, directly, too, and ask us questions. Remember, you are not alone, and please keep writing. Another great show. Um, of course, thanks to Megan Lorian for being so vulnerable and candid about your process. And uh, also thanks to you, the listener, because we do this for you. And um, you help us keep the show going. So we really appreciate your participation and your engagement. And of course, your Apple Podcast reviews. Um, those really do make a huge difference to us um, and to the show. And we got a bunch this week, which I really appreciate. So I'm going to read some. And um, remember, if you haven't written a review, it really helps other people find the show. Let's start with uh, Jamaican Paleface, who says, Lava Jam. I write, I walk, Megan Laurie and talk, I laugh, I learn, but most of all, everything they share is full of love. This is my lava jam. Oh, it's also the best podcast ever. <laughs> I love that review. It's kind of poetic. Thank you, Jamaican Paleface. Um, we're glad we can help you out. All right, Four Dogs Need Coffee says, Masterclass on Craft. Hello, Meg, Lorian, and Jeff. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time to create your amazing show with us. This podcast is a masterclass in writing screenplays, writing in general, and creativity. There's such a wealth of knowledge in each session, and you make us feel like we're a part of a discussion among supportive friends. I was first introduced to Meg's brilliant ability to teach and discuss craft when I attended the London Screenwriting Festival back in the old days when we interacted as humans, I heard her on the queue. Um, well, that's great, and I'm glad you found us there. Our hope with the show is to be returning to in-person festivals soon. Um, so for those of you all who maybe are local or not based in LA, if we're ever in a festival near you, I know Megan and Lauren are going to be in Austin this year. So um, keep your eyes on the podcast, or rather keep your ears on the podcast so you can know where we are. All right, lastly, I'm going to read from Jose Q. Writes. Um, I feel like I know Jose because I think he's in the writer's sprint slack. Um, so if it's the same Jose I'm thinking of, thanks for writing a review, Jose. He says, a game changer in more ways than one. This podcast has redefined how I approach writing and has allowed me to dial down the you're never going to be good at this, so beat yourself up, why don't you, setting that we tend to crank up to a thousand. I get that. I mean, seriously, Megan Lorian's wholehearted approach towards embracing fear, anxiety, and the everyday struggle of juggling life and pursuing your dreams has really normalized the fact that I am not alone. Their genuine advice and tremendous list of guests has instilled a renewed confidence in pushing myself to becoming a better writer one day at a time. The best part has been joining a wonderful community of writers who root for one another every step of the way. We got this awesome podcast. Um, awesome review. Thanks so much. And uh, as I mentioned, my goal for the show is to try to get us to 1,000 reviews by 2022. 
And based on the number of reviews we got this week, we can totally do it. So as a team, I believe in us. Let's chariot to fire this and see if we can get to that many reviews. All right. Um, in the meantime, thanks so much for tuning in, y'all. We will be back next week. In the meantime, happy writing. <laughs>